0: Today, I'm going to take a look at three verses, and as my wife just said to me, but in three verses, you could take in a half hour, so uh, I'm I'm not promising anything, I'm just telling you, I'm preaching on three verses. Now, when God calls us to ministry, most people, there are a few exceptions, but most people feel inadequate, they don't feel equipped, they make excuses. Moses isn't a perfect example. God told Moses that He wanted him to do something, and Moses said, "Well, I can't talk. I, you know, I have this speech impediment." And you know, God's first reaction is, "Well, who made your mouth? You got a problem. I can fix it." But that didn't seem to placate Moses, and so um, God said, "Okay, I'm going to send your brother Aaron with you, and basically he'll be your mouthpiece." And if you look at the story carefully, you'll see that. Aaron can't get a word in edgewise because it's always Moses who's talking. But that's kind of how we kind of start out in ministry. We feel inadequate. We feel uh, ill-equipped. And the Scriptures tell us that we are to equip ourselves, that the Word of God does that, that it equips us for every good work. And as a result, we tend to not do things for the kingdom because we make excuses rather than doing what the Lord has called us to do. And sometimes He lets us kind of wall around, and sometimes He treats us like Jonah and says, you're going to do it whether you want to or not. But then there comes a time when if you have success in ministry, there's almost a feeling that you don't need God. That God is lucky to have you. That after all, your international ministry is such that thousands of people are coming to the Lord because you're such a great speaker. Or that your ministry is so effective. Uh, or that your church is so large or whatever. That there has, that there's this tendency to go the opposite way and say, okay, now I know why God called me, because He couldn't do without me. Both of those extremes are wrong. God calls those who are unqualified so that He can show His power in you. And God wants us always to walk with him humbly. And so in these verses, Jesus is going to teach us and remind us what our attitude ought to be in ministry. And so in Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 7, he says this, Which of you having a slave, I want to stop there. This is where it's probably taking me a half hour. In In our culture today, no one likes the word slave. It's it's a word we're not supposed to... And some of the translations throughout often change the word slave to servant because it seems a little less offensive. And because of our culture and our background, we don't like the word slave. Let me tell you that you are a slave. You're either a slave of sin or you have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and have been redeemed and been set free, but set free to be the Lord's slave, to do what He has called you to do. So you can pretend to be free, but in bad English, you ain't. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to God. As Jesus frequently says, you're either with him or you're against him. There is no neutral territory. And so when Jesus says, when you have a slave, what he means is, this person doesn't have an option. It's not like, well, I quit. I'm going to find me a different person to to tell me what to do. They're not employees. As an employee, you can always go in and say, I quit. Now, the circumstances the consequences of that may be whatever they are, but you have this freedom. The slave cannot go to his master and say, I quit. And so in this, Jesus is going to be very specific. To this. Which of you having a slave, plowing or tending sheep? Now I find this interesting because most of the people he's talking to are poor. They couldn't have a slave if they wanted to. They couldn't afford one. But he's teaching us something. So which of you... Having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come in immediately and sit down and eat. He's going, okay, which of you, if you've got a slave, when he's done or she's done doing the work that they're supposed to do, say, okay, you put in your nine to five or seven to five or whatever. You get the rest of the day off. No, no. He says, which of you, when you have a slave, when he comes in immediately sit down and eat? Nope. He says, will he not say to him? Prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. So not only is the slave to prepare the meal for the master, he's to do it in proper attire. He's not to come and serve the master with the dirty clothing, plowing the field, or the smell of sheep as he's tending sheep. He's to clean himself so that he properly serves the master. And afterwards, you may eat and drink. So once the master's needs are fulfilled, that's when you get to worry about your needs, which is very contrary to our culture. Our culture is, God fulfills my needs, and after I'm done, then God can do whatever He wants to do, but it's all about me. And Jesus said, no, no, it's the other way around. Then he says, He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? If I tell you to do something, you did it, but I don't need to offer you thanks because you only did what I you did what I told you to do. If you didn't do what I told you to do, then there would be condemnation, not thanks. So after saying this little thing, he says, so you too. So now Jesus is going to say, okay, when we're talking about human contact and conduct, this is what would happen. So now you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have. Now, I'm going to expand on this a little bit. What have you done in ministry that God didn't tell you to do? Let's start off with, well, the love of the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. Oh, yeah. He told us to do that. I know. Love your neighbor as yourself. No, he told us. Not only that, he expanded who a neighbor is okay, yeah, I got it. Love our enemy. Now Jesus taught us to love our enemy and pray for it. Okay, I know. Let's forgive. Now even in the prayer, He taught us, forgive us as we have forgiven others. He taught, how many times are we to forgive one person? And Peter thinking, I'm going to be magnanimous seven times. Jesus says, no, no. The, the baseline, the minimum, is 70 times seven okay I know we'll make disciples oh yeah he said all authority has been given to me go there there therefore and make disciples teaching them baptizing them doing all the things okay let's go back to love maybe if we loved each other as he loved us well, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And this commandment is so important. He says, people will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. The way I have loved you, which meant I gave myself for you. Well, what else could we come up with? Well, will pastor a church. That's what he called shepherds. Well, there's deacons. He made those. He made apostles. He has told us what to do. So there is nothing that we can come up with is not that he has already told us to do. We are unworthy slaves because we only did what he told us to do. Now, I want to branch off in two areas. Are we unworthy slaves? By that I mean, are we doing the things that he told us to do? Are we forgiving the way he forgave? Are we loving the way he loved? Are we teaching the way he taught? Now this isn't focused on any one person. But why does the church have such a bad reputation in our culture? Either we have a very bad branding problem. Or they've not seen us. They think we're all hypocrites and we're probably all hypocrites. But they've never seen us love each other because they generally don't come in here. Which means you need to go out there and show love. So that they understand that you are like Are we unworthy slaves? Are we forgiving? Well, it's my right. They hurt me. It's How dare they do that? And as Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Well, you know, I, I prepare for teaching Sunday school. And I go and I'm all prepared. And very few or no one shows up. A lot of people showed up for Jesus, and he would comment, Have I been with you so long you don't know who I am? Jesus knows that there's frustration in teaching because either the crowd doesn't get it, or the crowd's not there, or the crowd has its own ideas. But he continued to teach and teach and teach. Now, me. If I'd have been Jesus, and thank God I'm not. And I think you should thank God I'm not. That um, I'd have seen this motley group of sinners and tax collectors and fishermen and how they just, storms would happen even though he did other miracles and they just didn't get it. He would teach things and they thought other things. And I kept going, maybe I ought to find another group. Let me start over. But Jesus was patient. In teaching, and you know, he knew something. After his resurrection, everything would change. His disciples would get it. All the things that he taught would suddenly lock in because their faith was ignited because he rose from the dead. So we need to have more patience. The scriptures are always saying to be patient. Being patient is being patient with other people. We also need to be endurance, long-suffering. That means to just keep hanging in there no matter what the circumstances are. What if this church, what if this pastor decided to say, I'm going to be an unworthy servant? I'm going to do everything you've commanded me to do. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to say, I'm tired. Let somebody else do it. But I'm going to say, God, you are worthy of it and so much more because you redeemed me from sin to eternal life. You want to rest? Get to heaven. Apparently, while you're still breathing and occupying space, God has something for you to do. Even if it's only to show your neighbor how much you love. Only if to show your neighbor who's an idiot and makes all kinds of racket that you forgive. Even if it's only to teach that one child or that one idiot adult who just never seems to get it. that one day the Holy Spirit will turn a light on and they'll get it. And I think if we were a church of unworthy slaves, not only would we be here on time, but be here early. Not only to be here early, but hope that Sunday comes after Sunday, and that you would be pastor. We got to meet Monday, and Sunday and Monday is not enough. We got to meet Tuesday, and we got to meet when we we got to just be together because it is awesome to be with the people of God, loving the people of God, forgiving the people of God, and expressing just how awesome. Our God is. And maybe, just maybe, if we were that kind of church, other people would hear about it and get the idea that we Christians aren't a bunch of mean, hypocritical, judgmental, do nothings. But they actually look like the Son of God, because we are to be in His image, and there will come a time when we will be changed into His image, and I've said this from early on in my ministry, if that's what I look like at that wall as Joe Davis, and that's what I'm going to look like at that wall as Jesus, when Jesus gets here, there should only be maybe one or two tiles that i got to cross over. Why am I going to make Him work so hard? I have to be more like Him and more like Him and more like him and more like him, more like him and more like him more like Him and more like Him so that when He comes, I'm almost just like Him. And you're almost just like Him. And in a moment, we are going to do the Lord's Supper. Again, Nothing new that we thought of on our own. He took Passover and took part of what Passover is and the meaning and told us to remember him. Told us that he is the Passover lamb sacrificed for us. That just as the Passover lamb, the blood placed on the doorpost and the lintel would cause the angels pass over, that his blood applied to our lives would cause it to pass over and we would be considered righteous. That he is the manna, which is, what is it? That he is the bread of heaven, the what is it that we consume? We remember him and we don't do this because it was our idea. He told us to do this in remembrance of Him. So, even in this, we are only unworthy slaves. So, my call is not for you to come down at front. My call for you is to determine. What's holding you back from doing what you commanded us to do? Is it a sense of inability? Then study the word of God to be equipped. If it is a sense of inability, well, if He called you. He will give you the power to do it. Ask Moses. Ask David. Ask Daniel. Ask every single person that God has ever called to do anything for him. That he empowers them to do it. And if he's done it for all of those, then he will do it for you And then, I want us to be mindful that the only reason we are special is because He called us. But as we minister, and as we tell people about who He is, and we love and forgive and teach and baptize, that none of those things that happen are because of us. One last person, and I'm going to use him because most of you are old enough to remember this person. Some of you are getting to the point that you don't. His name is Billy Graham. When Billy Graham started his ministry, He was converted by a person who didn't think that they were all that successful. And early in Billy Graham's ministry, Billy Graham would preach hellfire and damnation. I mean, he let it rock. But later in his ministry, and I was fortunate enough to be at Angel Stadium when he preached wasn't that great of a preacher. I'm sorry. Basically said, God loves you. I love you. Jesus died for you. Come be saved. That was it. And there would be people who would have come down to be counselors. But there would be thousands of people who would come and respond. Not because of what Billy Graham said, but what the power of the Holy Spirit did in their lives. And he understood that by praying at first and getting the churches and the community to pray and to come that the power of God could be tremendous. So I think Billy Graham very well understood that he was an unworthy servant. It wasn't what God was lucky to have him. Billy Graham, I think, really understood he was lucky to have God. And so are you so, let's get busy doing the work of God and all God's people said